1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Investors looking to put last week's losses in the rearview mirror as consumer prices and big tech dominate the market conversation this week. Right now, futures are higher. On those consumer prices, Wall Street getting set for the August CPI report this week and what it means could mean potentially for Jay Powell and the Fed's next interest rate call. Happening this morning, President Biden getting set to depart Vietnam after a landmark Southeast Asian trip outlining new plans to further diversify away from China. Plus, a merger Monday on tap and a possible $4 billion dollar vanilla cream filled deal. And then Instacart getting set to kick off its IPO roadshow. But the price tag appearing to be a far cry from its 2021 heyday. It is Monday, September 11th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm Dominic Chiu. for Frank Holland today, let's kick things off with a check on U.S. stock futures right now. There's a decent amount of green on the screen. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 are each coming off more than 1% losses last week. But for the time being, the Dow is implied higher by just a modest 75 points, the S&P higher by roughly 18, and the Nasdaq higher by about 21 points. Still, though, for the Dow transportation stocks, they're coming off a nearly 4% loss last week. By the way, that index is worst since early March. The Dow Transportation Index, uh, but just about a half a percent in last week's trade on Friday over the last week, down 4 percent. Checking on the bond market right now, yields, they're on the move. You can see just a little bit of higher motion there. Lower prices, higher yields for the benchmark 10-year note yield, 4.28 percent. The two-year note yield just around flat on the session, 4.98 percent. And the 30-year long bond, 4.36 percent there. In energy, Oil price is still a key focus with consumer price index data coming out later on this week. Right now, energy prices are offered. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude, $86.92. That's off about two-thirds of one percent. Ice Brent crude futures, that world benchmark gauge, still stubbornly above that $90 mark, $90.34, down about one-third of one percent. All of this as investors brace for a very busy week with a number of key events in focus, including earnings from both Adobe and Oracle. Also, a product launch event from Apple tomorrow and a possible refreshed iPhone lineup on tap there. Also, August consumer prices on Wednesday and Friday could see the start of a United Auto Workers Union strike. One some estimate could cost the U.S. economy some five point six billion dollars in just the first 10 days alone. Well, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Sylvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Sylvana.
3: Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. Well, a merger Monday, possibly on tap. Hostess Brands is reportedly closing in on selling itself to snack foods giant J.M. Smucker for between 4 and $5 billion. Now, if confirmed, a sale would be the end of an incredible turnaround story for the maker of Twinkies, Ho-hos, ding-dongs, zingers, and more after two bankruptcy filings, one in 2004 and then another one in 2012, as well as an eight-month stretch where it took Twinkies off the market. Shares of Hostess have been on a tear since rumors of a deal started circling late last month and are higher ahead of the open, up about 3% in extended hours. Now, shares of Alibaba are falling on unexpected news that its outgoing CEO, CEO Daniel Zhang will also be stepping down as chairman and CEO of its cloud business. Now, the move comes two months after Alibaba said Zhang was stepping down from his role as chairman and CEO to focus more on the company's cloud cloud, uh, cloud, Intel unit, its second biggest revenue source right behind e-commerce. And Alibaba says its CEO, Eddie Wu, will take over Zhang's cloud duties ahead of a likely public offering for the business. And Instacart is getting set to kick off its IPO roadshow today. According to reports, the grocery delivery company is aiming for a market value of between $8.6 and $9.3 billion. It's a far cry from its nearly $40 billion valuation hit back in 2021. Instacart is expected to start trading next week on the NASDAQ under the ticker CART or C-A-R-T,
2: Dom. All right, thank you very much, Silvana, for those headlines. We'll see you later on. All right, investors are gearing up for a very busy week with a key focus on the latest look at inflation. An August consumer price index report is due out on Wednesday. While they are expected to show easing price pressures, the readings will start likely be showing and still show that the Federal Reserve's 2% target rate is still well below those levels and comes one week before the central bank's next policy meeting on interest rates expectations are for the Fed to skip another rate hike. As you can see right now, it's 93 percent right now. Futures indicating the chance the Fed keeps rates unchanged. For more, let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO of Howard Capital Management. Vance, this is one of those situations where it's highly anticipated, but the consensus right now is the Fed's in wait and see. But are those inflationary pressures on the horizon still lingering Enough for them to stay hypervigilant on inflation.
4: No, I don't think so. No, I think that they've done enough. I think that it, I think the point now is that they go too far raising rates. You know, the Fed, they had some staff members of the Chicago Fed that came out a couple of weeks ago and said that that interest rates were right where they should be to have the effect that they want. So I know that with the staff members coming out with reports like that, I know the Fed's going to take heed to that. They're going to listen to it. They're going to listen to what their staff members are saying. I think they've gone far enough. I don't think the Fed's going to raise. I think the CPI print's going to be good. I think the market's in an uptrend. I think some people should stay long and be buying stocks.
2: Vance, I mean, we can say these things, we can say these things, but we still have gasoline prices that are markedly higher over the course of the last several months than they have been over the course of the last year. And we know that those consumer prices are very much affected by what happens with gasoline prices and consumer wallets, especially. So is that American consumer going to be in trouble heading into the fall and certainly during the holiday shopping season?
4: I don't think so. I don't don't think the gas prices are going up. We're watching it just like you are, Dom. But you look at what the Fed looks at, a lot of what they look at as far as interest rates goes is housing and housing costs. So that's one of the areas that's a little bit more important than gas and and fuel prices. But yeah, fuel prices does affect everything. But as far as a trader, you know, go look at XLE and and make some money off of it if if, energy is going up. But I don't think it's going to affect the consumer at all. There's too much cash on the sidelines. People are making good money. Too many people are employed. It's just a great, you know, the economy is doing fine. The market's in an uptrend. I think all these different data points and news do nothing more than scare investors out of a great, great environment to, to put money to work in the stocks.
2: OK, so speaking of putting money to work, Vance, if you're that bullish and that optimistic about what's going to happen for the coming months, where exactly are the opportunities? Some people say that the market is already overvalued, especially in key parts with regard to technology, media and telecom.
4: Yeah, well, you look at that, too, Dom, and I hear what you're saying. But, you know, if you take out the top seven, as we all know, the price-to-earnings ratio on the the mass, vast majority of the S&P 500 is very reasonable. What, 15.4, somewhere in that range? But look at AMD. AMD's pulled it's A nice buy. NVIDIA's always a nice buy right here. Anytime NVIDIA pulls back, it's a good buy. But look at Salesforce. CRM's looking good, too. You know, it broke out. It's looking like it's a strong strong buy, and it's going to move higher. And I think that if you look at the Qs, Dom, there's two different pivot points, too, I mean, yeah, 3.80 on Qs is at one pivot point. If we break above that, we should run up to 3.87, break above 3.87 on the Qs, and I think you're going to run into a new high by year-end on the Qs and the S&P 500.
2: All right, Vance, because it has been a very bullish story for you so far, I, I need to ask if there's anything out there that scares you a bit and would make you rethink just how bullish you are about the market.
4: Oh, I think it, there's always things that, that bother you, things that we can't see or that we can't know, a pandemic or some war breaks out somewhere. That's something that can't be gamed or, or measured. So you just have to deal with it. But but that's something that we can't, can't know. But what we do know, Dom, is the trend's up. Don't fight the trend. The market's moving higher. And so participate in it.
2: All right. Vance Howard of Howard Capital, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thank you, Dom. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, President Biden getting set to depart Vietnam after a landmark Southeast Asian trip, outlining new plans to further diversify away from China, how investors can play that DC strategic shift. Plus, Big Cloud is on deck, getting set for Oracle results after the closing bell today. Analysts at A.B. Bernstein with the bull case for that stock. And then later on, a first on CNBC interview with the China head of Trip.com, Balancing an uneven Chinese recovery with a travel boom. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. What you're seeing right now is a bid in the futures market indicating an open for the Dow Jones higher by nearly 100 points at the opening bell. The S&P 500 implied higher by 20 points and the Nasdaq higher by 98. That's the U.S. side of things. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day is really just kind of getting going. Juliana tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with the early action from that European continent. Good morning, Juliana.
6: Good morning. Well, here in Europe, we've started things out on the front foot. We've got green across the board, but we have come off the highs of the morning. Just a few minutes ago, we got some fresh estimates out of the European Commission. Twice yearly, they put forward forecasts for growth for the bloc. And the key takeaway this morning, the European Commission has cut its growth outlook for Germany, the eurozone's largest economy. German GDP now forecast to shrink by 0.4% this year. The previous expectation from the spring forecast was for 0.2% growth. So massive downward revision. They also cut their 2024 forecast for Germany. GDP expected to rebound next year, but only by 1.1 percent. Previously, we were looking at about a 1.4 percent growth figure for next year. So that's getting factored into trade this morning, no doubt. Also, investors bracing for the ECB meeting on Thursday, where the market is pricing in a 38% chance of a rate hike. But uh, the uh, the decision certainly hangs in the balance at this stage. As for Asian markets and the handover that we had in the lead up to this session, underperformance in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng dropped about 0.6%. The big news overnight out of Alibaba shares in that stock uh, dropping. The company announcing that the outgoing CEO will also be stepping down as chairman and CEO of its cloud business. So pretty big news for uh, that. That company, Shanghai Composite in the mainland, though, up about 0.8 percent. Back over to you. All
2: right, Juliana Tettelbaum, thank you very much for that. President Biden is wrapping up a visit to Vietnam today after attending the G20 summit in India this weekend. On Saturday, the president and other world leaders announced plans for a new shipping and rail corridor to connect India and Europe through the Middle East. The U.S. and Vietnam also agreeing yesterday to boost cooperation following President Biden's talks with the chairman of the country's Communist Party. Washington and Hanoi are expected to work more closely in improving supply chains for things like semiconductors and rare earth minerals. U.S. officials see forging stronger ties with Vietnam and Southeast Asia as key in countering China's influence and growing so in the region. But President Biden says these efforts are not about containing China.
4: We have an opportunity
7: to Strengthen alliances around the world to maintain stability. That's what this trip was all about. Having India cooperate much more with the United States, be closer to the United States, Vietnam being closer with the United States, it's not about containing China. It's about having a stable base, a stable base in the Indo-Pacific.
2: Well, let's get more insight now with Aaron Murphy, the deputy director of the economics program and senior fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, Aaron, this is a situation where the U.S. and many other countries around the world are trying to find ways to at least balance things with regard to their reliance on China. But how much should China take this as an affront to them? or a way that puts them at adversarial odds with the rest of the world?
8: Thank you for having me this morning, Dom. Um, That's a great question. And I think no matter what the U.S. or its partners or even its neighbors do, China will view it as an affront. Um, I think that what we're seeing countries do more, less so in the military space, is that economic statecraft is part and parcel of all foreign policy. I think over the last few years, we've seen countries try to diversify their supply chains and portfolios, whether it's because of COVID-19 and supply chains shutting down wholesale, or it's because they have unreliable partners and China presents a risk.
2: So this is a situation where the, the economic side of things is being used much more arguably effectively than some of the military deterrence has been over the last several decades in certain theaters around the world. But it's also a situation where China showed everybody around the world what they will do in an economic situation where they think that COVID-19 or some other new pandemic becomes a problem. That's why supply chains are moving. What can China do to uh, ease some of those fears, perhaps?
8: For themselves, I think it's a way of doing business differently. I think you heard President Biden say quite clearly that they don't want to contain China, but to have China use the rules, the rules of the road, um, post Bretton Woods, trying to be transparent, adhere to WTO standards, adhere to global standards of infrastructure and investment. I think one key Uh, that the U.S. and G7 countries and others have pointed to is the way that China does business, especially overseas. It brings its own labor. It has opaque contracts. And it's very unclear what they're going to do. Plus, you look at the Sri Lanka example with the Hambantota port, where if Sri Lanka went into debt and couldn't repay the loan there, that China could take over the Hambantota port, which is a critical infrastructure. So the way that China could do business, I think, would help ease that both locally and abroad.
2: And before we let you go, with China's situation right now, do you feel as though there is a Path forward for them? What would they need to do to make sure that the world views them more as a trading partner or a business partner rather than one that's looking to kind of take everything out there and make it all about themselves?
8: I think there's a significant trust deficit. So it's going to take quite a while for China to dig out of that hole and try to generate the trust. A lot of these relationships, these infrastructure contracts through its Belt and Road Initiative and now its global develop- development initiative have been an act of convenience. Countries need that infrastructure and China is willing to provide it. So I think there was a couple of things that could happen is that you see the US and G7 countries step up and start filling in those gaps with high quality infrastructure, but you see China following the same path. If it's really going to go forward with its global development initiative, it has to work in partnerships with countries adhere to feasibility studies, adhere to standards and governance and social and environmental standards. And the only way that they can help address this trust deficit is by doing
2: the work. All right, Aaron Murphy, thank you very much for the insight, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, coming up on Worldwide Exchange, when it comes to artificial intelligence, it's not just for writing term papers and cover letters. Now the IRS is using big tech and big money to catch some pretty high value targets in the act. Our Robert Frank is coming up when we return for that story.
1: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
2: Welcome back. What you're seeing right there is a live shot reflecting the reflecting pool At the September 11th Memorial in downtown Manhattan, New York City, as we remember the terrorist attacks of September 11th, which happened 22 years ago today, and the more than 2,900 people who died on that day, the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq will each hold a moment of silence before the opening bell to commemorate those losses. We will never forget. Let's get a check on this morning's top headlines. Here, Francis Rivera joins us with New York from New York with the latest there. Good morning, Francis.
9: Hi, Dom. Good morning. The death toll from Friday's earthquake in Morocco just keeps rising. According to the latest tally, more than 2,100 are dead, and that number is still expected to increase. The UN says about 300,000 people are affected by the magnitude 6.8 disaster. Just yesterday, a magnitude 3.9 aftershock rattled already devastated communities, but it's not clear yet if that caused any additional casualties. To the world of sports now in the men's finals of the U.S. Open, where Novak Djokovic played lights out to take the straight sets win over Daniil Medvedev. Djokovic wins his fourth U.S. Open just a year after withdrawing from the tournament over his vaccination status. And we had a big, as in big, blowout on Sunday Night Football. The Cowboys' defense forced three turnovers on Daniel Jones and the Giants. And running out to a big lead early, Tony Pollard scored twice on the ground as Dallas dismantled New York 40 to zero. Dom from Monday morning and those Giants fans who are hurting with those score numbers are we send it back to you.
2: I, I have a number of folks out there I've spoken to already over the course of the last few days in Cincinnati, <laughs> New York, and other places, in Pittsburgh especially for my Niners, where I'm saying Week one doesn't tell you what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Long ways to go. Long ways. Francis Ferreira, thank you very much. Turning now to China, uh, despite an uneven consumer recovery, there, travel demand after years of lockdowns appears to be stronger than ever. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with a story there. Hi, Eunice.
5: Hey, Dom, well, it's definitely a bright spot when it comes to consumption. And Trip.com Group is um, hoping to really capitalize on the next stage for the industry, which they believe is outbound travel. Uh, Today, the company had um, an event here in Shanghai where they were reaching out to many of their international partners. And in terms of US-China travel, uh, they said that flights doubled to 12% of pre-pandemic levels. So still very low, but at the same time, they're feeling very optimistic that things are going to get better, especially after the U.S. Commerce Secretary visited China.
10: Travel to the United States uh, is quite uh, well demanded. However, in the past, we only have 6% compared to 2019 level. Uh, So after the visit, uh, more flight capacity will be added on both sides, and we're very excited to see that.
5: Trip.com group's CEO told me that she's also very upbeat about the, um, the area of focus of the U.S. and China, which was Chinese group tours. Uh, they were revived, if you remember, just recently, and people have been booking their tours to the United States, uh, plunking down anywhere between 4000 and 10000 U.S. dollars for some of these trips. This would be for the October holiday, which is a major holiday here in China that's coming up very soon. Uh, the CEO said that she's very confident that uh, Chinese spending is going to uh, resume themselves to pre-pandemic levels.
10: Chinese uh, consumers are the large spenders compared to the rest of the world. The most expensive tool Trip.com sell before pandemic cost about 200,000 USD per person per trip, 80 days around the, the world. And guess how long did it take us to sell these packages? How long? 17 seconds. That tells you, you know, the customer we serve really have very strong buying power. Uh, If you look at the statistics, per person per trip, Chinese uh, consumers spend the most 2,000 USD per person per trip.
5: For outbound travel, Dom, uh, she said that the next 6 to 12 months is going to be critical. She wasn't uh, seeming to be as optimistic, though, about inbound travel, saying that she hoped that inbound travel among non-Chinese, she hoped that it was going to recover as soon as possible.
2: Eunice, the American economy is much more dependent, uh, leveraged to, if you will, the consumer spending picture than the Chinese economy is. Is there a sense that you got with regard to the economic outlook and picture, given the real estate problems and the government intervention in the markets there, with regard to whether or not that will dampen sentiment for some of that consumer spending in the coming months and quarters?
5: Well, she didn't really mention the broader um, macro issues that you're talking about when it comes to travel, uh, because travel, as I was telling you, is actually one of the the bright spots um, in, in the consumption picture. A lot of that is because when you compare to a year ago, when most of us were either um, locked up in our homes or just under some sort of travel restriction, um, you know, comparatively, people do want to get out. They want to see more. And that was kind of her main point to me about the outbound travel that um, after the pandemic, she said people are ready for the trip of their lives. And that includes overseas uh, from what she sees. Inbound travel, though, still, um, you know, as you as, uh, you know, you know, um, very, very different, different picture.
2: All right. Eunice, you with the latest there on the travel picture. Thank you very much from China. As we head out to break a programming note, join CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit on October 12th, where we'll talk with top advisors, investors, market experts, technologists and economists about what advisors can do now to position their clients for the best possible outcomes in the future. As we head into the last quarter of 2023, also facing the unknowns in 2024, just scan the QR code on the screen to register or visit cnbc.com/events/fa. We'll be right back. It's 5:31 a.m. Eastern Time, and there's still a lot here on Worldwide Exchange coming up. So here is what's still on deck. Investors are looking to shake off last week's losses and get gains back on track with a very busy week of trading ahead. Futures right now, their bid. Potentially the hottest IPO of the year, looking even more popular than initially expected. We'll explain that story. And rise of the auditing machines, how the IRS is leaning on an army of AI tools to crack down on wealthy tax cheats. It is Monday, September 11th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu, in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which I did mention are on the upswing. The Dow's implied higher by roughly 105 points. The Nasdaq higher by about 101 and the S&P higher by just around 21. Now, the Nasdaq and S&P each coming off more than one percent losses last week. In the bond market, yields right now are showing some interesting stability. Not much movement here in the two-year note yield, 4.99%. The 10-year note yield, 4.286%. And the 30-year long bond, 4.369%. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinau is back with those. Hi, Silvana.
3: Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, Meta is reportedly looking to ramp up its artificial intelligence efforts as the race around that technology intensifies. According to The Wall Street Journal, the company is working on a new AI system intended to be as powerful as the most advanced model offered by OpenAI. The journal says the planned system would help other companies build services that produce sophisticated text, analysis and other offerings and is a part of CEO Mark Zuckerberg's push to establish Meta as a major force in the AI space. The clock is ticking for a deal between U.S. automakers and members of the United Auto Workers before Friday's deadline. And recent data from Anderson Economic Group shows that even if a brief 10-day work stoppage were to happen, it could reduce U.S. GDP by $5.6 billion and push Michigan into recession. The group adds auto prices could also climb higher after coming down from record levels recently. And Arm Holdings reportedly considering raising the price of its highly anticipated IPO. According to reports, the SoftBank-owned chip designer's share sale is about six times subscribed Given that strong demand, Arm will likely be able to price the IPO at the top or above its $47 to $51 per share range. Shares of SoftBank jumping in overseas trading amid that news, Dom. All
2: right, Silvana, thank you very much for those stories there. Shares of Oracle moving higher this morning, adding to a more than 50% year-to-date run so far. The company is set to report second quarter earnings after the closing bell today. A key driver for those gains is artificial intelligence and growing expectations that Oracle's infrastructure cloud business, OCI, will get a big boost from artificial intelligence, AI. The stock outperforming rival Microsoft by more than 10 percent this year on what CEO Safra Katz called unprecedented cloud demand on last quarter's earnings call. So let's dive deeper into expectations for this quarter with Mark Wardler, the senior research analyst and global software at AB Bernstein covers not just that company, but others as well. Mark, thank you very much for being here. Just how high are the expectations for Oracle, given that big run we've seen already this year?
11: You know, it's very interesting. Um, Oracle is a name that investors didn't love, frankly, until uh, relatively recently. Many people bought it because of the safety it supplied, the downside risk protection if there was a uh, economic slowdown or it got worse, because Oracle's clients are historically the biggest companies and the most critical workloads. AI and OCI have become a bigger part of the story over the last year or less. Um, but while people are talking about and management is talking about AI and the opportunity, in our conversations with clients, in our reviewing of the numbers and the rest, the street isn't modeling meaningful revenue numbers from AI at this point. And I don't believe the investors are yet at the point where they're going, "Wow, this is going to be huge for the company." They see the opportunity, they're getting interested in the name, but you know, I think the setup is
2: quite good for the earnings tonight. So, Mark, if if this is the scenario where Oracle is obviously a mega-cap technology stock and has been a big part of the tech scene for for decades now at this point, is Oracle due to become more like the Microsoft story in its emergence over the, uh, the last several years, or is it due to be more like the IBM story where it's a bit, bit of a slower growth story, more steadier, and maybe not as, as exciting for some investors out there?
11: Uh, it, it, great question. Uh, we wrote a note a couple months ago in which we compared Oracle today of Microsoft in in 2015, 2016, and there's a lot of similarities. There are also a lot of differences, but there are a lot of similarities. At this point, no one expects Oracle to accelerate to the level of growth that um, that we are seeing at Microsoft. On the other hand, as I said, there's a lot of similarities in here. And so, um, you know, while the cloud is gonna grow 28 to 30%, the overall revenue expectations are still in the single digits. Um, I believe next year it accelerates into the double digits. Um, so I'm above the street in those expectations, um, and I think that can continue in terms of it. But the street's not yet at the point they were at Microsoft or for Microsoft today, but I do think there's a lot of similarities to Microsoft, and this could be another engine that just keeps driving up
2: mark before we let you go artificial intelligence ai has been a huge part of the story for many companies out there including oracle with regard to what oracle cloud infrastructure oci those letters are going to be so prominent for many investors after the closing bell today how big of a driver can ai be for that cloud infrastructure unit over at oracle
11: well Oracle's OCI is is relatively small compared to Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. They're a much smaller number four, um, and therefore, if they have meeting success, excuse me, success with AI, it could have an amplified effect on the OCI numbers. Look, Microsoft today is the only one who's yet said AI is this big. They said it was one percent of uh, Azure revenue last quarter. They're guiding to two percent this coming quarter. Oracle could do something similar and, in fact, could talk with a bigger number. It could be a bigger percentage of the OCI revenue, again, because OCI is still relatively small. Um, But I think the setup is really good that if Oracle sets up and starts discussing real numbers or percentages or even intimating in that direction, the stock's moving up from here.
2: All right. Mark Mortler with a call there on Oracle after the closing bell today. Thank you very much, sir. Good luck today. Let's stick with the AI theme. The IRS is among those turning to the red-hot technology with a focus on cracking down on those trying to cheat on their taxes. Robert Frank joins us now with the story there. So, Robert, who exactly is the IRS going after with artificial intelligence?
7: Well, it's the Willie Sutton approach, Dom. They're going after those with the money. The IRS announcing a sweeping historic effort, quote, to restore fairness to the tax system. Using billions of dollars of new funding from the Inflation Reduction Act and that new AI technology tools, the IRS announced a crackdown on the wealthiest tax evaders. So there are three parts to this, Dom. First, it will target about 1600 millionaires, each who owe $250,000 or more in unpaid recognized tax debt. So that's Taxes they agree they owe but haven't paid total could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Secondly, they're, as you mentioned, using AI and machine learning to target the 75 largest partnerships in the U.S. That's hedge funds, real estate partnerships, law firms, and others that have an average of more than $10 billion in assets. The goal here is to find errors and discrepancies that were previously just too complex for the limited staff of the IRS. Then starting next month, they're going to send letters to around 500 other large partnerships that have discrepancies that could point to underreporting of income. The audit rate for those earning more than $10 million a year has fallen from 21% to less than 4% over the past decade, though the audit rate for the wealthy is still eight times higher than the overall tax base. Commissioner Danny Werfel explained that no one making less than $400,000 a year We'll see increased audit rates. Don, but this is an agency that has been beset with technology problems, still way in the dark ages when it comes to its you know, computer systems, technology, even its copier machines. So this would be a big step for them using this money and this AI tools to figure out what the patterns are with taxpayers and better identify
2: the tax cheats. Robert, you... you Basically answered my question. You read my mind about this because I'm thinking to myself, I don't think about technological prowess when I think of, first of all, government bureaucracy, let alone the IRS. My question then becomes, we know that there was a massive backlash with regard to the hiring, the possible hiring of agents to then go and expand the powers and enforcement of the IRS, how exactly do you think this story plays out, knowing that they are now going to use technology to police this? And should people be fearful? I know you've mentioned $400,000 or less. We don't have to worry, that sort of thing. But this seems like it could be a political sticking point in an election cycle year coming up. Dime, you're absolutely right. It will be a political sticking
7: point. And as it relates to the technology, they are hiring a ton of data scientists internally, as well as using external vendors, they haven't said which companies they're working with, whether it's Microsoft or Oracle or any of the other big AI companies, but they're using this combination of outside vendors and internal scientists that they are hiring to better improve the technology. And look, I think it's in everyone's interest to have a smarter IRS. You know, their job is to collect taxes. If this allows them to do that better, that's great. But the degree to which it imposes added time and burden on taxpayers that may not yield the result, that's going to be the question with all this
2: investment going forward. All right. Like TurboTax on steroids for the government. Uh, Robert Frank, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later on. Coming up on the show, heading to court, details on the trial set to kick off overseas around one of Apple's most popular devices. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a quick market flash for you watching the pre market trade here in some Chinese technology stocks like Baidu, NetEase, and EV makers like NEO, Li Auto, Xpeng. They're all higher, as you can see, as is the closely watched Chinese ETFs, crane shares, China Internet ETF, ticker KWEB, KWEB, and the iShares FXI. Chinese regulators overnight relaxing rules for its country's insurance giants, allowing them to invest more cash in public equity markets, so that rising tide there possibly for many Chinese companies. Well, time now for your morning call sheet. We've got a break. Big price target upgrade from Tesla over at Morgan Stanley. It says that it expects shares to climb to 400 bucks a piece. Morgan Stanley also upgrading its rating to overweight, signing Tesla's supercomputer effort Dojo, saying it can add up to 500 billion dollars to Tesla's enterprise value. So Tesla shares up five and a half percent driven in part by that. Also, Deutsche Bank is upgrading its rating on Kenview to a buy. It says the stock is oversold and that while fundamental uncertainties and legal liability risks are still valid, they are now more than adequately discounted in the current stock price. Those shares up three and a half percent. And then Jeffries is upgrading its rating and price target on DoorDash to hold and also 90 bucks a share. It says its profit analysis of DoorDash has shown a long runway for elevated pre-tax earnings growth. So those shares, watch them. They're thinly traded right now in the pre-market. All right, time now for your global briefing. A class action suit against Apple going before a U.K. court this morning. The tech giant is accused of hiding defective batteries in millions of iPhones by throttling or slowing them down with software updates. Apple has previously argued that the lawsuit is, quote-unquote, baseless. The CEO of AstraZeneca is reportedly looking to leave the company, according to the Mail on Sunday, Pascal Soirot has told several friends and advisors he may step down from the position next year. The report adds that Soirot has not spoken with Astra's board or chairman about his potential plans. And Reuters reporting that Vietnam Airlines is expected to sign an agreement to buy about 50 Boeing 737 MAX jets. The deal would be valued at just around seven and a half billion dollars and comes as President Biden wraps up his weekend trip to Hanoi announcing other major deals in the region, including those with Microsoft, NVIDIA, VinFast parent company, Group, and others as well. Well ahead, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus the consumer space. Our next guest says is offering plenty of opportunity for investors overall. And by the way, join us for the Delivering Alpha Investor Summit on September 28th in New York City. With investors and leaders coming together to provide insights, ideas, and analysis to help you balance risk with maximized returns. Just scan the QR code on your screen or visit CNBCEvents.com DeliveringAlpha to sign up. Delivering Alpha in person, New York City, September 28th. We'll be right back. Welcome back. What you're seeing there is a live shot in your screen of the reflecting pool At the 9-11 Memorial in downtown Manhattan, not far from here. Also, the Pentagon, as we remember those, the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 22 years ago today, and the more than 2,900 people who died on that day. Both the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq will each hold a moment of silence before the opening bell later on this morning. Well, time now for your WEX wrap-up. Instacart is reportedly kicking off its U.S. IPO roadshow today, targeting a valuation of between 8.6 dollars and $9.3 billion, a fraction of its roughly $39 billion valuation going back to 2021. Twinkies owner Hostess Brands is reportedly closing in on a deal to sell itself to J.M. Smucker for around $4 billion. The deal could become official as soon as today. Shares of Alibaba are falling on unexpected news that its outgoing CEO Daniel Zhang will also be stepping down as chairman and CEO of its cloud unit. The move comes two months after Alibaba said Zhang was stepping down from his role as chairman and CEO to focus more on the company's cloud Intel unit. UBS reportedly cutting hundreds of wealth management jobs in Asia due to a slump in client activity within China's slowing economy. Bloomberg says the bank has cut a number of overlapping roles and is expected to further reduce headcounts through November. Half of Americans plan to begin their holiday shopping by Halloween this year, while 12% started by the end of August. A new report from Bankrate finds a third of people expect inflation to impact their shopping habits, and a quarter feel stressed about the cost of holiday shopping. Well, here's a look at the trading day ahead. We've got earnings from Oracle and Adobe. A fresh read on inflation from August CPI on Wednesday. A pair of big events for big tech tomorrow. We've got Apple's iPhone 15 launch and the start of the Department of Justice's antitrust trial against Google search dominance. And a potential strike from the United Auto Workers if an agreement is not reached by the deadline come Friday affecting the auto industry. Ahead of that, let's see how the markets are shaping up to start the week. Right now, futures are higher. The Dow's implied higher by just roughly 108 points. The S&P 22 And the Nasdaq up by about 101. If you take a look at the dynamic just in the last couple of weeks or so with regard to small cap stocks versus large cap, we know the growth story has been large cap all year long, but we saw a catch-up trade happening with small caps. That has now reversed a little bit with small caps underperforming specifically over the last couple of weeks. So could it be a tell on where the U.S. economy might be headed if investors are anticipating more pain for small cap stocks? Let's now get into the trading day ahead with Insight for Chris Morangi, the co-CIO of value over at Gabelli Funds. Uh, Chris, this is one of those scenarios where we don't want to worry about the U.S. economy, but it seems as though investors are in certain parts of the market. Are they right or wrong? Well, we, we worry all the time. Uh, obviously, you know, through the summer, uh, we
0: increased our hopes for uh, a soft landing as consumer spending continued to drive the economy forward. We saw some cooling of inflation and allowed for a little bit of multiple expansion. That's obviously been uh, retraced a little bit over the last month or so. So, you know, it's a process uh, of push and pull, and uh, eventually we'll get there. But, you know, think that fundamentally the economy is strong and uh, there's some uh, bargains to be had out there. What kind of bargains
2: are we talking about? I mean, there's stuff out there in technology that people will say is overvalued. It's growth, mind you. But everyone refers to value these days and makes it synonymous with energy. Is value just about energy? It, it, it's not. Actually, you touch on an interesting point. Obviously, the value indices are dominated
0: by energy and financials, and banks have their own idiosyncratic issues. Obviously, a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies around energy as well. We tend not to focus on those areas. We don't like commoditized uh, industries. We're looking at industrials, consumer, TMT, areas where companies can create for themselves competitive uh, moats, and um, especially in small cap,
2: we are seeing some interesting uh, opportunities. Where is there the opportunity then, in small caps, in industrials, in other parts of the market, even technology, media, and telecom, if all of those places are places where investors say, they've run up so much, how much further can they go? Well, some of them haven't run very much. And listen, we, you know, we,
0: uh, one of the areas that I alluded to was the strength of the consumer, and particularly spending on experiences. And that's remained strong. And and one of the uh, most interesting areas, we think, is in live entertainment and sports. There are very few areas to participate in the growth of sports franchises. It's great to have football back. Not as great if you're a Giants fan like me. But the Atlanta Braves won yesterday, and uh, they are the best team in baseball and one of the few uh, publicly traded sports franchises out there. And what's your word of the day? It's consumer. Or I should throw the modifier in, the consumer. Not breaking any news. Consumer accounts for more than two-thirds of GDP. Obviously, it's uh, the uh, propensity to spend has pushed us through, uh, pushed out a potential recession. And the question from here is, how long can that continue?
2: All right, Chris Murray, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, futures right now are pointing to some gains at the opening bell. You can see there the Dow implied higher by 110 points. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next to kick off your trading week. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From their innovative practice facility